I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Welcome to the No Ideas Podcast. Uh, this is the first of two special episodes with Fandango Kid. Uh, yeah, so we recorded the original episode with Annie, didn't we, in September? Episode 5. Um, so if you haven't listened to it and need a bit of context, then maybe revisit episode 5. Um, and before we even got back to Brighton that day, Annie messaged us to ask us if we'd be interested in doing some kind of follow-up episodes. She felt that there were more things that she could share with people and we immediately thought that it was a good idea. Yeah. This is the first of two episodes that we recorded with Annie in November of 2018. Um, and it covers uh, the subject of legacy and family. We talked about gender roles, finding your voice in a family full of characters, and the things you choose to take with you as you get older and the things you choose to leave behind. Yeah, we had we had quite an eventful um, day, didn't we? Going up to London, which was... Uh, Straight out of the train station, somebody <laughs> stole my wallet. So we were a bit late for the uh, interview because we were trying to find uh, find that and tell the uh, the security at the train station about yeah. that as well. But ironically, we'd we'd had a discussion. Ant had got this uh, this enormous wallet for his it's birthday, and, and a week before we'd been talking about how it made him look like he was full of money, which I'm really not. <laughs> it had 24 spaces for cards in it. Yeah, so we we'd already had a conversation about it being stolen at some point. Yeah, and we didn't realise it would be that soon. But... Self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. But onwards and upwards, we made our way up to Annie's place. Yes, and got set up for the first two. Um... Annie um, set the environment perfectly, didn't she? For a chat, she produced a candle that was supposed to promote positive conversation. And this amazing daylight lamp, which absolutely, I felt like I was glowing because yeah. of it. I we called it the truth lamp, didn't we? The because truth lamp. the conversations were extremely truthful yeah yeah <laughs> maybe over- shared a little bit too much oversharing thankfully we weren't recording when we were oversharing yeah but there was some some beautiful conversation and uh, we hope you enjoy it back in september we spoke to artist fandango kid a.k.a. Annie Nicholson, about love, loss, family, identity, and how art can help to heal. After recording, we discussed the idea of doing a couple of follow-up shows on specific themes, and the first of these shows is on identity and legacy. Welcome back to the show, Annie. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Yeah, good, you thank good? you. Yeah. You've been pretty busy since we last saw you as well. Yeah, I've, yeah, I have. I've been like in New York for a little while, painting a massive wall. Um and pretty much yeah seven day weeks really since then so yeah uh, so you grew up in a family full of characters um do you mind giving us an insight into what your parents were like uh yeah well <laughs> definitely very eccentric um very eccentric dad very eccentric all of them in their own sort of different ways but um a big struggle to kind of get a word in edgeways actually um <laughs> and uh, sort of really never alone so always tons of people kind of coming in and out of the house um, big dress ups a lot of food, a lot of drinking um, and you know very sort of 
black and white opinions on things. Yeah, <laughs> never any nuances really. Yeah. Do you, um, I think you've mentioned before that there were always people around the house. Mm. And uh, so the place was always busy with loud characters, right? Yeah, so we sort of, we often had, there were a lot of people went through growing up that lived with us that I um, was not like directly like blood related to, um, who've, you know, become sort of lifelong friends of the family. Um, like, you know, we've had people staying, you know, staying with us for years even actually, like people getting divorced, people having a sort of general meltdown you know, it would always sort of be the place to come if you were having some sort of drama because I've got so many memories of people coming in and sort of sitting around their table and, like, sort of workshopping their problems, really, and um, and they'd end up then staying for dinner and then probably stay the night and, you know, but, like, but that from that extreme to, like, someone once came selling... Um, ironing board covers or something and like he stayed for the weekend as well like he was like my dad sort of was like oh no come in come in come in and then like my dad used to make these like amazing ribs um this like so they'd cook all day and they'd just come out of the oven so he's like oh do you want one and then this guy ended up just yeah just staying and like and that was like just normal actually a bit weird but normal so often there'd be people in the morning that you'd be like sorry what was that again what was your name kind of thing like often it's quite a yeah. And was that from when you were really small as well? Yeah. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I had, like, you know, always my older sisters, you know, like, yeah, so sort of my, particularly, like, the, my middle sister would kind of look after me a lot, and then my grandma as well, so had a very big sort of extended family. She was across the road. She moved down from Blackpool, so she was, like, in everyone's faces, you know, and, like, so we had a lot of sort of support to look after people. Were your sisters big characters as well? Um, Sonia, absolutely. Like, the fact they both, you know, they both are slash were. Like, Sonia was just this booming, booming character. Um, and, like, really fucking funny. And when I think of her now, actually, it's, like, such a beautiful, rare thing to have lost someone and think about them and, like, laugh. Like, I think about her and I'd actually laugh. Like, and she just was you know had this way of um yeah just making like it was like a real tough kind of tough love like you almost wanted people would like I had this first boyfriend this first love and he used to say to me that he was like he used to really enjoy being bullied by her because it was almost like this like sign of kind of love so she was just awful to him so awful to him and he just loved it it was like this really (laughs) weird like yeah um yeah so I don't know, like this, just like this really sort of, because coming with that was this, was this, was this sort of gentle love, but also really hard exterior. Her girlfriend was the same. Uh, she's like this Maori warrior girl with like, you know, seven sisters and, you know, and, um, but my sister Amanda is like a more of a quiet warrior woman. She's different. She's like, yeah, definitely means business, but doesn't say as much. <laughs> Did you um, find it hard to find your voice in amongst all these big characters? Yeah, because it was like, well, it's not really like, who cares what you think? Because you're like, because <laughs> you're the youngest kind of thing, you know. So, um, you know, we'll tell you what you think kind of thing, right. you know. So it was really hard to know what I thought for a really long time. And it was quite a lot of like, um, well, actually a blind fear when they did all die 
um, because, I mean, Amanda, my other sister, still definitely puts her, like, two cents in, but, um, but there was a real, like, blind fear of, like, how do I find my voice, um, without you, because they were such a strong kind of guiding force that, you know, to, to kind of unpick all of that and find out who you are has been a whole journey of its own, actually. I guess because you then had to carry there would have been a lot of voices and a lot of noise and then you had to carry that kind of spirit on and through in many respects or it was no longer there to guide you in some respects yeah I mean in survival which is sort of the first stage of, of grief sort of pure survival is was like invaluable because it was such a sort of such a strong guiding force in terms of what to do and how to kind of you know, sort of just kind of like get up and move one foot in front of the other kind of basic stuff and like that sort of life philosophy of like, no, come on, pull yourself up kind of thing. That was a life, you know, sort of a a lifesaver really. But like in terms of actual, you know, reworking or reframing the kind of character that you want to perpetuate in terms of your life and your legacy, um, that's been a very long journey for me. So, and I think there is something really significant about this sort of seven-year time frame because it's now come up to seven years. Um, it's just past the seven-year mark that I sort of lost the, that core of my family, and um, that's really significant in terms of like life chapters. Because I sort of think, oft- for a long time, I would think of like my life already in two parts. I think of my life as the one when they when you know they're all alive and I was sort of this youngest little person amidst them um without any sort of valid views that were entertained and then the life the grief stage that you know after them and then now which is sort of actually this really nice you know healthy probably merging of the two um it's you know it's been a really long road would you say that you were more of an introverted person when you were younger because of all the the noise around um, I don't know actually about that. I've definitely, I've got really a lot of like natural genes from my dad. So there is a lot of exhibitionism. But the other thing was like to get attention from him, you, cause it wasn't like a sort of ne- necessary, like an easy love. So to get attention from him, you kind of had to be a bit like that for him to sort of pay any attention whatsoever. So I, I do remember figuring out that that was the way to get it and doing it um you know and he would say things to me like very challenge very sort of challenging things like you know he would like he had this boat that he'd go out fishing on it's like this little clatterer kind of boat but he'd like make me like sort of not like pretty much sail it on my own over to the islands I'd be like well can't you like like as a teenager and be like well are you are you he would always say to me like are you my girl or aren't you and you'd be like oh yeah okay kind of thing and it was so because you want to like impress yeah. him or get that that's how you got love that's how I got how we got love from him by sort of being big and bold and um but in sort of secretly sort of shitting yourself that like oh my god I've got like sail a (laughs) boat or like drive a fucking giant beast car or you know like I don't know it's a lot of um a lot of things like that but it felt great I'm imagining when he was proud of you for those things yeah and he was proud of us anyway it's just he had a total incapacity to say it so you know moments like that when you were obviously sort of you know bold in in his eyes um 
were like you know that sort of instant gratification that I think you kind of seek as a growing person you know like I've sort of since been kind of dispensing with quite a lot of that but I you know like it, again it's like there's not a he was sort of really did the best with the like with the sort of total lack of sort of emotional skills that he had growing up himself so that sort of leads us on to um do you do you think what do you think you learned about your own identity and gender roles from family life in the 80s and 90s so our dad um our dad was really into boxing so you know it was definitely this sort of well, I don't really know how else to say it other than that he was pretty much a gangster and that he would nothing was legit in our family. And so there was a lot of like I think he was quite I won't say like disappointed in having three daughters, but there's definitely a like fuck what am I gonna do with you kind of thing. So he would teach us boxing, like how to box. He taught me particularly like boxing skills. He would teach me how to sell stuff to him. Um, he would take me on the rounds with his, in his van to like all the butchers in North London, um, which was part of his business. And yeah, there was a lot of like, you know, don't sort of a your dirty laundry in public. Be stoic. Don't kind of you know let people sort of know how you're feeling emotionally, which is totally the opposite of who I am. Like innately you know now particularly I often wonder what he think about the stuff that I'm putting out there because it's like, so mm. like um and, but my mum was just like such it was an easy it was like an easy love I never had to do anything to prove anything to her and you know I do credit like, I wouldn't have half the balance that I've got if it hadn't been for her like she's such a gentle like gentle but really 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 tough as well but just didn't need to shove it down your throat I think people that constantly say, I'm really strong, I'm really strong, I'm really strong, which is what my dad mm. did, always, like, you know, it was always really sort of very, almost like, not vicious with his strength, but it was very, like, I'm, you know, bold, and I mm. um, are often maybe struggling with being Absolutely. bold. You know? Maybe you're advertising how bold and strong you are all the time because maybe you feel a bit vulnerable or... Yeah. You know, but by always showing your strength, you're kind of fronting yeah. to people and not letting people see the sort of dinks in your armour. Yeah. So. You know, I think my mum, like, I did this bit of work about my mum for, like, International Women's Day, and one of the things that I remember saying was, like, you know, she just didn't... She would, like, totally kind of steal so many hearts by just being this sort of, like, really even, consistent, like, gentle heart, really, that's such a winner because it's, like you know, really, 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 really strong and, you know, fierce when she had to be, but it was very rare. And I think that's when you should use your, like, strength, actually. You know, like that sort of fierceness. I think that's when you should use that when it's absolutely required, but not as, like, a default. Mm. It's more powerful, isn't it, when Much it's only powerful, used occasionally? When she did lose her temper, when she did sort of step in or, you know, or sort of say no to something or yes to something, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, okay, you know. Whereas my dad would just be all the time, you know? And I think you do, like, there's more, maybe, I've just had a lot of respect for it. I really, you know, really, the the complexities that, when I think about things sort of, you know, and what, who I want to sort of, what I want to carry forward in terms of my legacy, I'm 
very there's a lot of things that I've been really perplexed by in my dad that I've had to really tease out and understand in terms of my own relationships moving forward with my mum it's just been quite like there's just very pure easy simple love actually I don't really I really don't frame her in the same way at all um did you learn about the patriarchal roles and matriarchal roles during this time yeah so a lot of the people that would come in and out of our house through dad's business dealings were like we had a lot of rabbis we had like a lot of um because he was doing all his business with um like supplying kosher butchers in north london so a lot of a lot of rabbis a lot of like jewish um um butchers and um uh, but then also like all the kind of old sort of boxer gangster people like you know my godparents and all of that um and um, but but then you know from the other side my mum's sort of whole circle were um, much more I'm not quite sure how to say but I think there would be a totally different conversation going on and she would my mum would sort of really really think things through and was very um, you know really good brain on her shoulders and you know a lot more would intellectualise you know things and very emotionally aware so the combination was kind of like odd in my parents but it worked um for a long time it worked anyway and um yeah so I think you know the the idea of I think the idea of alpha male was very very strong for me Mm. from from a young age um and the idea of what it was to be a woman as a consequence of that like I think my dad was really drawn to my mum because she was really even um and you know really sort of he would bring all these people into her into our environment so it's like you know he was people used to call him like the pied piper gather all these people and she would just sort of neutralize it and you know she's very good with sort of managing all kinds of situations um as well as being you know really kind of strong they both come from failed marriages and their view with us growing up was very much like in terms of relationships were like you know make sure you can pretty much do everything on your own and then like sort of see a partner kind of thing which has definitely had its sort of effects I think mm. you know maybe some good and some not so good you know do you do you think your dad within the time was considered kind of a real man for for the sort of jargon of the time I think yeah I mean I think he was sort of <laughs> definitely conforming to that stereotype um he like his own he was quite I mean whether he would admit it or say it or not like I think there was quite a lot of sadness or within him he like his own dad went out one day to get groceries and kind of like never returned ever and took a boat to New York and that was sort of it and his own dad was was like you know very uh non-legit shall we say like constantly sort of bouncing between trouble and um there was a lot around him a lot of drama around him in terms of the law and stuff and um and I think my dad because that was he he sort of has very limited reference points uh with regards to his own dad he um put him on a pedestal Mm. you know in terms of like what what a man would be but was actually raised by his grandma and his mum so his you know the the sort of understanding of you know 
I guess female kind of energy was 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 definitely strong and later in life was constantly surrounded by women and daughters and you know the lot of women around him um yeah it's interesting I think you know when you like eventually see your parent as a person which happened quite early on for all of us actually because he sort of refused to get into that role as a dad really so we saw him as a person more and more so you know and then you know only really that after my mum died and um seeing that seeing him and his sort of interactions with with women um you know as opposed to who he was as a dad very very Mm. You know, it was constantly char- on the sort of charm, you know, with, with anyone that was removed from the family. And then when you're actually with him, you're like, oh, my God, you're like, you know, picking your nose or you're like, you know, just like this grotty, like, like kind of rude, cantankerous a lot of the time. Whereas, like, as soon as there's someone who's like, you know, not in the family, who's like vaguely attractive, you're like, hey, it's <laughs> kind of like, you know, it's so like, what the fuck? What is that? I think um, traditionally in that time, the time especially in which your dad would have grown up, men were taught not to be vulnerable and fallible. Yeah. And there were terms like man up have always been used, which I loathe that term. They're kind of used to demean a person who is sensitive or vulnerable. Do you think this period had a a damaging effect on the the development of the male psyche? Yeah, I mean, I really can imagine so. I think this sort of, you know, this, this kind of almost mantra, you know, not to show your you know not to sort of disclose your inner workings and feelings because um you know someone might sort of manipulate you as my dad's Mm. kind of default it was like a default thing and it was it was such a strong vein running through our family that I would often play that out in my own sort of relationships you know and refuse to sort of show any weakness and I think that's extremely detrimental to building some sort of intimacy with anyone you know um but i you know i think that those pressures um on a man like him and particularly someone who chooses that life of um that sort of self-made man kind of like you know survivor life which is what he was like and all his friends were like it's you know the pressures are enormous because actually i noticed such a i saw such a beautiful sort of fragility in him when my mum you know obviously it's heartbroken but within that were some really poignant moments where we shared things you know after my mum died that um you know had I not had an sort of excuse to kind of I had this a film that I wanted to make together had I not had that as the kind of medium if I just said let's sit down and chat he I don't think that would have you know um really unfolded particularly but because we had this sort of medium it was really interesting because he did bring things that were you know probably for the first time in our whole life really like poignant and gentle and it was really nice to see that that was that was there you wonder how much he must have buried emotionally oh my god you know so much yeah sometimes not having a parent around at that early age in life means you think to yourself I don't need anybody else. And that might have been where that island sort of mentality came from, yeah. seeing themselves as an island and passing it on. And being an only child mm-hmm. as well, you know, and having to sort of, having, yeah, I think also the societal pressures of what it was to be a man at that point, mm. in, um, in you know, at that point of in like the 50s or the 40s, 50s, in the North, like, I don't know, you know, in the Navy as well. It's kind of like, 
he love- told you know he would tell me a lot about these um kind of rituals that you'd have to go through in the navy in the 50s you know to sort of prove your manliness he told told me you know a lot about those and um to sort of step up the ranks and get off making the porridge and <laughs> um, so if if and when you have children what kind of roles will you teach them I think, you know, I'd quite like to move away from this idea of, of roles, to be honest, and just, I think I definitely would focus on kindness and being, yeah. you know, open and, and gentle, actually, um, and sort of really think about different ways to show, you know, strength and integrity. Um, and, you know, I would really, it's very important for me to, if I have children, or my legacy is really important so to sort of think if I do have children to sort of think about um the ways in which I can kind of instill a bit of my well quite a lot of my family life and family understanding of family within them um but I you know I've thought about it so carefully and do on a daily basis within my work that I hope that I would you know um I mean I think everyone is a little bit like fucked up or has a few issues and I think that's a kind of given but I hope that I wouldn't sort of you know like let slide massive kind of you know meteor like issues Mm. you know I hope I'd address them as they come up yeah I like the idea of creating a sort of toolbox for how to be as a person rather than giving them a specific role yeah yeah or if you, if you, I think, you know, you might be aware that you, like, just to have a consciousness if you are doing it, I think, because I think it's inevitable that, you know, you're within your family for so long, even if you lose them young like I did, you still have those formative years. I think it's inevitable that things, patterns probably kick in, like they do in your relationships as well, but you really do have to just, it's just being aware, mm. thinking, being like, okay, yeah, no, I don't really, you know, even now in my friendships, like some familial roles kind of come in, my very close friendships that I'm having to really address and be like, no, I don't want to be that kind of person, you know. Do you think the traditional roles are changing across the board? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you think that's for the better? Absolutely, I think, you know, we're sort of, you know, more and more dispensing with with um with roles, you know, full stop and you know, and gender and I think it's sort of becoming you know, it's yeah, I think you know, people are much more aware of um how damaging those, you know, very sort of forceful roles are and uh, I think we're living we're in a time of like, you know, we're on sort of the well, there's great change, we're on the precipice of like massive change with regards Absolutely. to gender. Absolutely. And that's, you know, thank God, you know, for, for everybody, mm. you know, because I think there's it's creating freedom for people that maybe didn't even, you know, sort of realise that they were bound by it. I see your recent work has been uh, very much about legacy. Uh, can you talk us through your recent US work? Yeah, we um, uh, we went to New York for about a month to paint a big wall um, for uh, these guys called Brooklyn Industries. Um, so it's a really good spot on Bedford Avenue in um, Brooklyn, Bedford and North Eighth. Um, Two hundred feet wall that I put uh, where I put "Make Your Legacy Golden," and it was um, a beast, like a real like <laughs> bitch to paint. It's like very exhausting but um yeah we it's like we kind of spent you know a a good number of days doing that but I 
wanted to put it in New York because of my sort of family connection to having lost the majority of my family in New York. Um, it was not far from there even where, you know, it happened. And, um, you know, I wanted something permanent, uh, moving on from the kind of paced up, uh, you know, the paced up sort of narratives that I've been doing. So it's the first, hopefully, of many murals that we'll be doing. Amazing. Yeah. And you, we, we spoke a little bit before we started recording about it and you were talking about the the kind of conversations and stuff that you had with yeah. people being a big part of That was experience. a really big, you know, people passing by and sort of asking what you're doing or like, you know, we had our palms read and we were like asked on some dates and, you know, like we, it was a lot of like, you know, a lot of interest. Um, you know, we got given like pierogi dumplings from the, um, <laughs> the Polish uh, couple next door. Like, you know, amazing stories shared and, you know, a lot of like sort of quite put out older people, like, you know, <laughs> wheeling their stuff by and just being like, what, you know, what's all this? Um, little kids on the way to school. It was great. It was like it was a whole sort of spectrum mm. of, um, you know, really broad demographic. Um, yeah, really interesting. Can you describe the mural? So the mural is, um, <laughs> it's uh, this sort of bright pink, um, long kind of two, 180 feet or so long um piece with um with with a sort of well it says make your legacy golden and the golden is sort of as gold as we could get uh from trekking paint up and down bedford avenue for a really long time um and um yeah and uh it you know it's a kind of ode to it's an ode to the loss and to sort of everything that's happened but it's also a kind of marker for me for sort of this next chapter of my life because I'm sort of really going through a period of like I feel like saying like renaissance makes me sound like a massive knob but like I can't think <laughs> of another word like a big period of change you know um yeah like you know and, and very excited about it actually and I guess there's a legacy in speaking to all those people from those communities and having those conversations yeah, as well. Yeah, I the wish we had itself. documented yeah. it. You know, next time we're definitely going to document it. Yeah, you know, and, and really hearing people's stories. And it's been a very good lesson for me because I was absolutely exhausted emotionally after painting this. And it was I had a few days of a real kind of crash after that. And um, it's been a very good lesson to me because I think moving forward, I've been really working on kind of, you know trying to make my work about opening up other people's stories and thinking about, you know, conserving energy in terms of my own because it's such a personal investment in the work that I'm just trying to sort of really think about that sort of art versus life kind of boundary and measure, yeah. Do you feel like this has drawn a line under a certain period of your work and your life then, this particular piece or...? I think it was getting that way from the residency I did in New York in the summer. Um, I wanted to do something permanent in New York um, as the first of many, um, which I feel like I've sort of I've done. Um, when I put, you know, did the residency in the summer, I was I really let go of, you know, a lot of stories that I've been wanting to tell for a long time that were very intimately connected to my grief. Um, and I've, I really do feel like I came back from there, you know, very re-energized sort of very excited about thinking actually about other materials to be honest you know like things that I also want to talk about like you know the sort of present or the future or you know moving forward into um a relationship because I've kind of put a lot of stuff on hold for quite a long time um 
you know, and like there's, I think as a woman, there's a lot of sort of, you know, all these external pressures that you're constantly having to say sort of like politely or not even politely, but like fuck off to like age wise, you know? And I think um, because this happened that, you know, the the loss has happened when I was 28, which, you know, is, I, I think I've ha- I've been kind of really not thinking about relationships for like the last sort of, you know, like five to seven years I have had them but I've not really been connected particularly you've been distracted do you think emotionally distracted totally you know I remember you know I did I sort of entered into a a relationship where it was a really like we really fell in love in this relationship it was very soon after the accident it was like maybe a year and a bit and that went on for quite a long time and it was a very strong bond but it was um, but I was you know very torn because I was having to go you know my dad was dying at the time and and I was really facing the end of one thing that I'd come from you know the last the death of like the last sort of part of my family you know that brought me into the world having dealt with everything else as well you know losing my mum and my sister uh, before that um and he was sort of very much about you know wanting children and you know marriage and all this stuff and and I just felt like I just couldn't start a new thing. I couldn't start something that was so huge while I was trying to end mm-hmm. something else and come to terms with that. And it was very conflicting. And in the end, I decided to, we decided to, um, you know, end it. But yeah. Um, so you've mentioned previously the idea of being a different person every seven years. Um, do you feel completely different to the person you were before you lost your family? It's really hard to know, actually. Like, I think that's where your good friends that you've had for, like, decades come in. Because they say, you know, they say really sort of reassuring things, you know, that... And they say there's actually some things or quite a lot of things about me that are better than then. They were like... They say that I'm less flaky because I was, like, quite bad at committing to plans back then, apparently. (laughs) And, like, quite chaotic, kind of emotionally and stuff so they say they say that I'm like one really old friend was like yeah you're like you're like a sort of proper woman you're like you're like you know you've got like you know all the sort of woman stuff now and I was like I don't really know what that means <laughs> and so sort of also not playing into this conversation about gender roles I probably shouldn't have added that but mm. I don't even know what he meant by that but he was like no it's like it's really good because you're just like it's like you're together and you know so so there are it's nice to hear that because I can't quite remember I was definitely like a lot more I was like punky. My friends used to call me Punky Brewster because I used to go around with like, yeah, just on my bike with like all these, all the patterns together, and like going to these like I used to love going to these raves and I used to tie these measuring tape round my head and do like these Bjork kind of, um, you know, like go to I really like trapeze in the circus and all that stuff. And so it's a little bit, it's a bit less like that maybe, but there's still. I'm actually going back to the trapeze this year, so I feel like there's some kind of, I don't know, a few, like, it's really nice to, I remember a few times in the last sort of year or so, I've had these thought. I've had these sort of things that have come to me, and I've been like, shit, what is that? Have I, like, dreamt that? Or what's, there's something really familiar that is, like, I've just thought of, you know, from the past, and it's, it was, it's actually was like a memory of, like, myself in those years mm. before, the accident and it was there's been a definitely a joining of old self and grief self to sort of sort of filter through to to now and it's been really exciting to kind of like 
want to go for you know go out for a dance or a lot of dancing or like want to you know still kind of I don't know just stay young and you know all the things that I've had to put on hold like you know want to date boys and stuff like all the things that I've put on hold are really found quite terrifying in terms of newness you know because I think when you're grieving you just have to have familiarity so do you think you've gained a lot of strength and confidence now that and and maybe a, an understanding that you don't want to waste any time yeah there's I mean there's such an irony in this whole thing to be honest there's a real bittersweet irony in you know in the work and the sort of successes and you know the some of the amazing relationships that have developed since these losses yeah maybe I didn't need them so I didn't so I wasn't looking that externally before because I had such a sort of strong bond with my family maybe that um but there's, there's a great irony of sort of running through much of what I do. We've talked a bit before about dating in the modern age. Um, do you feel like what you look for in a partner was shaped by what you learned from your parents? Um, yes and no. You know, I think there are some like core things in terms of your moral codes that I'm really sort of grateful to them for having instilled in me. Like, there's a lot of integrity and, you know, um, loyalty and, and, you know, that I would have trust, you know. But I think um, there are things that I absolutely don't want to take from them. You know, the sort of... They... I mean, there's the fieriness of their relationship and, you know, these quite defined gender roles and... This sort of, you know, I do, I have noticed in the grief sort of period, having sort of like been more attracted to like this sort of alpha male role, because I think it's, you know, because you, you're so sort of like sort of wounded from, from the grief that actually I would sort of go after these things that I kind of knew were not really what I would ultimately want as like a long-term thing so so it's kind of safe in that mm. way mm. so you just sort of go for it because you're like yeah this has got an end point um whereas you know now I sort of find myself much more um you know having dismantled all of this stuff and trying to figure out what I want to carry forward and I'm much more sort of naturally attracted to like the sort of gentle open you know like emotionally kind of with sort of emotional clarity I guess than uh than that sort of alpha male bullshit you know it's just led me down the garden path many times as like a younger woman it's like you know yeah because you learn some of your archetypes from what you observe in your parents apparently yeah. especially with um they do say that you end up with someone sometimes is like your your parent of the opposite sex. I'm not sure it's a whole, I think it's quite Freudian. It's his line of thinking. But sometimes you end up going for someone who's similar to a parent and then sometimes you go for the absolute opposite. It sounds like maybe you've done, yeah. you've gone, you've done that journey. And my sister, my elder sister definitely said from the outset, she's been married for like 30 years, I think now. Yeah, I think it actually is. Um, she said very clearly from the beginning that she chose someone who is the absolute opposite to our dad. <laughs> like, was like really kind of like, didn't give a shit about telling everyone that, you know, and he really is. And he's like, you know, they are the best of friends and he's like just gorgeous, amazing. 
um and they've made you know they've raised kids that are even and incredible and have done such a great job because she certainly didn't she we have a different mother actually so she both of her parents were like extreme narcissists and like she has done such a fucking great job to just sack that off like she's just really worked at it um and made very conscious choices and i think you really have to do that if Mm -hmm. that's what you Mm -hmm. can't you really do have to work hard to sort of stay open to you know be trusting especially if you don't come from that you really do and she you know and my you know my other sister sonia was did the same like they both built really really solid trusting loyal amazing relationships there are actually ones that as much as i aspire to some things in my parents a lot of things the relationships that my sister's built as a sort of almost like a default reaction to the the sort of growing up experience that they'd had um were ones that i their relationships were things that i aspired to the most because i was like this is you know it's loving respectful it's calm you know there is a as an even equal feeling the roles are equal and um that was that's been a really great source of inspiration i think we're in a very conscious time for that i think we we as a generation we think about what we learn from our parents and then we can do the opposite i'm not sure that's always happened in a lot of generations no and especially now we think about things in a lot more um psychological terms i think and then how we can try and undo the things that we feel were done to us so your parents did give them the blueprint just the opposite blueprint right you know and I think and they get you know there will be things that they've taken you know definitely like I have you know they're from our parents that have been they're amazing you know there are some amazing solid core things that kind of form your you know your like core identity that are incredible but I do think like also I think now you know um you know compared to maybe our parents generations emotional intelligence is can sort of considered it's like you know it's sort of heavily factored into your lifestyle and who you are and what you know how you work and things and the relationships that you build whereas i think you know maybe then it, it was sort of considered a luxury mm. or a you know a, sort of impossible to break with these patterns that were maybe unhealthy or it was just not really kind of factored into to to sort of daily thinking it feels like you know emotional intelligence is a very modern way of looking things it's i I love the fact that it started to emerge as being something that people are really paying attention to um and it's i think it's a great strength you know i've been thinking a lot recently about you know i've carried a lot of survivor's guilt for a really long time without really even realizing it so you know, I would often be on the sort of always teetering on waiting for the worst to happen, like always, even with the best things happening or, you know, um, and I've been thinking a lot about this sort of residual fear and actually thinking, you know, it is, there is emotional intelligence in sort of recognising that, um, that what has happened is, is, you know, really, A, not my fault, but sort of being not really anything to do with with me and my present you know and I think that is emotional intelligence in terms Mm. of moving forward and living in the present Mm. you know and the near future that's yeah yeah to understand something to rationalize it and then to put it to bed it's definitely like it shows emotional intelligence to actually sort of understand a behavior pattern 
and yeah. then change it because a lot of people just carry on in the same behavior pattern without ever stepping outside of themselves and realizing it and being aware and yeah I, yeah I think you know there's a lot of I've carried a lot of kind of um yeah a lot of guilt just sort of thinking that you know many times that this you know that what has happened maybe would have happened differently or wouldn't have happened had I gone to New York or you know whatever but you know there are so many scenarios that you so many things that I've gone through you know thoughts about how it might have been different you know and I think as human beings we really want to try to rationalize death in order to understand it but rationalizing death is you know and I it's almost you know like you sort of bang your head against the brick wall because you keep trying to do it and you can't you know it's one of these things that you just it's you can't like you can't rationalize these sort of these kind of freak things that you don't have any control over and we really want to do that to sort of you know settle the world or to place the you know place ourselves within the current reality I think and so what have you let go of and what have you taken forward Um, what kind of legacy would you like to leave um, I've definitely let go of like going out with like alpha male, like muscle, <laughs> muscle, muscle kind of boys um, with not much depth. That's definitely gone. Thank God. See ya. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you ever you've seen that um, film that Tracy Emin made where she says goodbye to like all of her lovers in Margate and she's like dancing? That's amazing. No, oh, no. I have to send it to <laughs> okay. you. She's like, right, Gary, see you later. And she's like doing this whole, it's amazing. <laughs> anyway, but. Um, yeah, it often makes me, I often think of that, but, um, so let go of that, and, um, and I think let go of, like, kind of going after things that, you know, are just, like, this thing of, you know, I would say, you know, where you sort of, um, having to sort of fight for someone's attention, you know, which is, you know, coming from what I was sort of saying to you earlier, and I think definitely kind of not interested in that. I'm interested in, you know, clear, open, honest, sort of vulnerable conversations, really. And um, friendship, really, actually, you know, more than, you know, because I think also this sort of thing about physicality and sort of that sort of lust is just... Like a friend of mine, a much older friend of mine years ago was like... Um, when I was in my 20s and he would have been in his 40s and he said to me, you know what, one of these days, maybe 10 years from now, you're going to realise that passion is just bullshit. And he was like, it just is going to lead you down the garden path again and again and again again until you kind of like realise that that's, you know, like it's actually about friendship and building that. And um, I, we don't actually, if he's, if he ever listens to this and I would like to tell him because I've lost it, we don't have each other's number anymore, but yeah, he's right. So that, and I think, you know, just kindness, you know, kind, like, which has always been in me from my mum, but it's, you know, been definitely overtaken. But I think when you're really hurt and you're really um, devastated and brokenhearted from, you know, what I've been through in terms of loss, it's like the biggest battle to stay open and gentle. Thanks for listening. Um, This time last year, this podcast was purely an idea. We'd like to thank our guests for taking the time to talk to us this year and making the show what it is. Uh, We also like to thank Tom Eno for doing the music and the soundtrack. Uh, And special thanks to Sarah and Amy for supporting us on this project. We'd like to thank our sponsors and collaborators, Bison Beer and Dot to Dot, and Biff for letting us do our first live episode this year. 
and a massive thanks to all you guys who listen every episode and send us comments and messages to tell us that you're enjoying it we couldn't do it without you we've got some great guests lined up already for season two first episode will be out in march and later in the year we've got some really exciting plans in the pipeline too so uh join us soon for more ideas Thank you.